I'm so excited to be here like at the first Sunday of not just a new year, but a whole new decade. Man, I took last Sunday off. I was able to just enjoy Pastor Tom's great message. He did such a good job. Can y'all give some little appreciation to Pastor Tom? What a good message he shared. And that, that, that fed me. And I, and, but there's no way anybody's preaching the first Sunday. This is not just a new year, y'all. It's a whole, not even a new, it's a whole new decade, man. I'm so excited about what God's going to do in our church through you, what God's going to do in your life, how your family's going to be different. I mean, some of you, it's kind of hard to think about 10 days from now, but I want you to just think for a minute about 10 years from now, what kind of things can God do in your life? Not this preacher, not this building or this organization. What could God do in your life in the next 10 years? I'm telling you, it could be amazing. The relationships, the, 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 the place of your leadership, your investment and influence in other people could be amazing. And it starts with God's plan. So, so here's what I want to do just to kick off. I'm going I'm to read you my favorite Bible verse. And not because I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to preach on it. I just want to let this verse resonate in your heart. For the next decade, I, I feel, I'm feeling like a decade of purpose and a decade of destiny for us. And I want it to be centered on this word. So I want you to just let this verse resonate in your spirit right now. Jeremiah 29 and 11, God says this, I know the plans. Everybody shout plans. plans. The plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and the hope. Let that just resonate in your spirit as you start a whole new decade with Jesus, that he's got plans for you. He already has plans. I mean, you think about it. Some of you are students, and, and, and you're thinking about your, a new semester or new activities. Like, what, who should I hang with? What, what about, should I be dating this person? A lot of stuff like, where do I need to go to college? See, God's already got that planned out. I want you to just let that resonate in your heart for just a minute. He has that planned out. Some of you are, you know, a little bit older and you're thinking about careers and you're thinking about, you know, children or maybe you've got kids and what should decision should I make about my kids here or they God's already got that figured out. He 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 doesn't just know the answer, he has a plan, right? He's already got it all planned out. And and so the question comes like how do I get on that plan? Isn't that the question? Like, how do I get on that plan? God, you got a plan. You said that it's a bright future and it's filled with hope and all good things. How do I get there? See, that's why you're here today. I'm so thankful that you're here, that you started your year, not just your week, but your year and your, de and your decade in the presence of God, because the local church is supposed to be the vehicle that helps you get close to God. That's what we're here for. And I want you to understand this. We are not a part of some denomination that, that says you got to have these kind of numbers and this many people doing this and this many people doing that and this much giving. We're not part of any denomination that makes all that stuff happen. We are genuinely saying, how can we be more like the people of this book? Every step, you say, why? I, I love it when people ask me questions about this church. I love it when you ask questions because every answer is going to be a biblical answer. Every why. You're never going to hear me say, well, you know, the old board, they, you know, we got some old people running the board. We don't have any of that kind of foolishness. I mean, we're genuinely seeking after God. So when we step up and say, like, like, like the, the, the campus pastor at all our campuses said this morning, you need to be in a small group. It's because we want you to find that plan I just read to you. And, and, and you find it in community, you find it with people. And you know, one of the exciting things God said to me along around October or November in my own prayer closet was about the next year. You know, last year, 2019, was a year of Bible reading. 
And this is the first time in the history of our church we just said, let's all read the Bible together, read the same verses together. For most of the year, I preached along, or other pastors preached along with your reading. It's really exciting. I know a lot of you participated. Some of you finished, read every word. That's exciting. Some of you read more than you've ever read before. And I heard the Lord say, there's something better and easier than reading the Bible. And I said, well, okay, what could that be? And, and, and if, if 2019 was a year of Bible reading, 2020 is going to be a year of Bible study. And Bible study is better, obviously, because you're studying the Bible. You're not just reading it. But it's actually easier because you typically read the Bible by yourself, but you study the Bible in groups. You learn it better in groups. So for, for, for a few months, we've been working really hard to make sure that you could lead groups. Some of you have been so blessed and touched by being in small groups with people. By the way, it's the most biblical thing to do is to be in small groups with people. You read the book of Acts, you'll see it all the time. And it's blessed you. And, and, and I'm challenging some of you to step up and lead a group this year. I mean, for the first time in your life. What we did, we invested a lot of money and, and, and a bunch of curriculum that could make it so easy for you. You'll get your own login access, and if you host a group, you'll be able to pick all kinds of different teaching, and, and it does the teaching for you. All you have to do is open up your house and serve the tea, all right? That's it. And then talk about it. You press play. It could be a financial group. It could be a Bible study group. It could, you know, it could be uh, something about marriage, whatever. Some of the great Francis Chan, some of the great leaders uh, around the country country have put this stuff together. And I want you today, if you're thinking, man, I've been waiting, man. I just don't know if it's my time or not. God, give me a sign. God has given you this door right here. This is your sign. Walk through the door, all right? And walk, not that one physically, but out in the lobby, go through a different door and go to the sign up and just talk to them. There, there, there are coaches there that'll help you, coach you through it. And, and in about two weeks, we're going to lay all these groups out, and everybody can get on board with the group. That, that's not a program for us. That's not some denomination thing said we had to do. We're not a part of a denomination. This is us saying the best way for you to find that plan is to do it in groups. Some of you ready this year to take your Bible study to a whole new level? We started last year about this time, the They Start College evening program. Different from the traditional program where students come right out of high school, go to college full-time. This is a night school type thing for, for adults. Meets on, uh, on Tuesday nights at 6.30, about two hours. It's Bible study training, the same kind of Bible classes I took in seminary and Bible college, but condensed for you. And then also leadership training, which is better than anything I ever got in Bible college, by the way. And so if you want to do that, man, go on our website and find out how to be a part of that. There's some really exciting things. And for everybody y'all. Tomorrow morning, we actually already kicked this off, but tomorrow morning, it's for everybody. We're kicking off 21 days of prayer, and that's so exciting, prayer and fasting. So we're going to be able to come together at 6 a.m. Everybody say, I love 6 o'clock. Come on, say it. Some of y'all said it. I appreciate you doing it because I asked you to, but I could tell some of you did not really mean it, all right? But if you get here, and man, they start singing, it's live worship. All the way through, man, people leading worship. Uh, I'll be sharing a brief talk about, about your spiritual journey uh, moving forward, real short, and then prayer time, just powerful prayer time that's just going to bless your life. Man, it's so good. I promise if you come, 
you're going to love it. You're going to be glad that you came. It's streamed online through our app or, or through Facebook, but we would really rather you get in the building with us. In the, in the summertime, we do a different one that is all online. This one is designed to get us together in the building. Man, I hope you'll come to that Monday through Friday from 6 to 7. On Saturday, we're going to hit the streets, and, and we'll tell you more about that when you get here, but, but dress a little bit warmer because we're going to do more of like a prayer walk type thing, and that's at 9 o'clock. Everybody say 9 o'clock. We talked about fasting some last week. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go see Pastor Tom's message. He talked about fasting, and I'm not going to talk a whole lot about that, but, but fasting is genuinely saying, generally, it's saying no to your flesh in some way. Something that your flesh really likes, you conquer it for 21 days while you just really open up your heart to what God wants for you. And, and, and see, here's, I got this vision of this just this week. I was thinking about what does fasting do. It's kind of like you, you, you've got a, you're a vessel, you're a cup. You know that old song, here's my cup, Lord, I lift it up, come and fill it, you know? It, it's, but to me, you've got a cup and God's pouring out things in your life, but our culture puts a lid on your cup. I mean, it could be stuff, you know, like, like physical things, physical weaknesses that you have. That's why fasting food is good for that. But it could be social things like social media, or it could be Netflix or other things like that, that just fill your brain with so many things that are not godly and, or, or even they're not even terrible, but they're just a distraction from God. And they really cover you up. And that's why fasting, a 21 day fast where you just say, you know what, I'm not going to focus on those things anymore. I'm going to say no to those things so that I can say yes to God. It moves that barrier and lets God fill you. I'm looking around the room at a lot of young people. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that because I remember what, what Watching my children start fasting in their teenage years and setting some things aside and how it changed their life, man, it will be. I, I didn't ever start fasting when I was a teenager. I think I did one time. Kip and I did a two and a half day fast. That was supposed to be a three day fast, but that didn't work out <laughs> when we were like 19 or something. But I, I never did a lot of fasting when I was younger, like some of you are, but I've watched my kids do it and it's just been so fantastic. So, listen, these are all steps to get you to that place where God says, I've got a plan for you. So let's talk about that. Today I'm starting a series called Doors. Everybody shout doors. We're going to be talking about the doors in your life, that you, doorways you need to walk through, and some doorways you don't need to walk through. We're going to talk about doors that need to be shut and doors that need to be open. We'll talk about the door to your heart. We'll talk about your bedroom door. We'll talk about the door to the church and so many others. And I'm going to be talking about this for today and five more weeks. I hope you're here for every single week. Look at somebody right now and say, I'll see you next week. Tell them right now, I'll see you next Sunday. All right, you said it. Don't lie in the house of God. I'll see you next Sunday. I don't want you to miss a single one of these, okay? And we're going to talk today about your prayer, the door to your prayer closet. And specifically, God says you're going to shut this door. Everybody say, shut the door. Now say it like a Jamaican. Say, shut the door. Shut the door. God says this on your prayer life. Now, if you want to find God's plan for your life, start with perfect theology. And the only perfect theology there is, is Jesus. Okay? Jesus was asked by the disciples, teach us how to pray. Remember that? And he gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. Something that occurred to me years ago that I had never noticed before was that it seemed like how to pray was less important to Jesus than where to pray. Watch this. In Matthew 6 and 6, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon Jesus preached. Matthew 6 and 6 says, but when you pray, everybody say when. when. He says, okay, you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to pray. All right, not if, but when. When you pray, go into your room and say the next three words, shut the door. 
and pray to your father who, where's the father? He is in what? Secret. Other, other verses tell us the secret place. He's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So he's going to go on and tell them how to pray. Our father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, all that stuff. But before he says how to pray, he says, I want to tell you where to pray. So here's, the, here's a bold assertion I'd like to make, that the how-to of prayer isn't as important as the where-to of prayer. Why is that so? Because Jesus says there's the, the place you're going to go behind this shut door, there's somebody already there waiting on you. Who's that, church? Come on, help me. God's already there. He, he, your father, who is in this secret place, he's waiting on you, and you're going to go inside that door. So if you, you ever feel disconnected from God, you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the roof, you feel like the things that you're hoping for, the, spiritually, they're just not happening in your life, you ever feel like you long to be closer to God, then this teaching today, Jesus is teaching today that I'm going to try to show to you is great news for you because he guarantees a way for you to get into the presence of God. And this key is in his Sermon on the Mount. He keeps saying, your father is in this secret place. He's already there. He's gone ahead of you. And the moment you get there and shut the door, you're there with him. Enter the room, shut the door. And it's like your portal, that secret place is your portal to the throne of God. It's an amazing promise. You can, find, you can have your secret place where you get along with God and there is power behind the shut door. Now, shutting the door is not just a physical act. And shutting the door, I'll be honest with you, I, I think is harder than it's ever been before in the history of, of Christianity. I think today it's harder to shut the door because there's so many things competing with you. Sometimes I'll read, like uh, just recently last year, I read the memoirs of John Wesley. Man, that guy was amazing. You read about his prayer life, and I've read the life of David Brainerd, an incredible prayer leader, and you read about Smith Wigglesworth and, and, and some of these uh, simple McPherson, some, some women of faith and, and men of faith, and you look at their prayer life, and you can kind of get a little condemned about your own prayer life. But I want you to think about this for a minute. That was a different age. You know, things are, are, are different today. You know, today you've got husbands and wives both working 40, 50 hours. They've got activities going on all the time. If you're a student, you're busier now. There's more things competing for your time than ever before. Students have activities. Parents got to be involved in those activities. There's church activities. There's uh, school activities. There's, there's sports activities. And, and then we've all got this thing, which can be a real blessing, but can be a true enemy of your walk with God. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, this thing right here has got so much distraction baked into it, man. You can stare at this thing all day long. Can I hear a teenage amen up in the house? You could stare at that all day long. You could talk to your friends. I mean, you could look at Instagram stuff. You could stream Netflix. We all have some device where we can watch a billion shows. I mean, there's so many things that are competing for our attention and our time. And every, th th that's all new stuff, y'all. That's all changed since Jesus said these words. Here's the one thing that hasn't changed. Jesus. He didn't go like, oh, I didn't know about Netflix, so let me change all that. Th th he doesn't do that. God is still the same. God is still in the same place, and he's in the secret place. And that's still the same place that you find him, and, and you shut the door. Now, shutting the door is not just a physical act 
of going in a room and, and closing a door behind you. Shutting a door is a state of mind. I, I saw my mother model this for me as I was a kid growing up. She, she shut the door inside the living room. She didn't go to the bedroom. I mean, she, I'm sure she prayed there. But I most often saw her praying in the living room of our house, right next to the front door of the house. I would come in, bring in friends, never raised her head off of the face of that chair where she was praying. She just shut, didn't matter if there was TV going on. She might raise her head and say, get out of the house and go back at it. But that, she, she was behind a shut door. It's not a physical act as much as it is a spiritual act or a frame of mind. And see, most of us, when we pray, we really never shut the door. We talk to God a little bit driving down the road, which is great. You ought to talk to God. I have to talk to God driving down the road because you're also driving down the road. All right? I'm talking to God all the time. But that shouldn't be my prayer life, right? That shouldn't be the only. If you've got a long commute, I, I used to have a long commute. I, I love those times with God. That's fantastic. But there's got to be a place in your life where you shut everything out. You're not talking to anybody else. You're not distracting by anything else. You're not letting your phone m monopolize you or, or get your attention. Man, you ought to turn off all notifications on your phone except the ones that are absolutely necessary anyways in, in, in life. You'll never get your goals met. you never become who you want to become if you let your apps tell you what to focus on. That's a good amen right there. Come on, somebody. That's one thing that's helped you right now in life. And turn it off when you go to the prayer closet. I have a friend, Pastor Tom Sturbins, who is a favorite of our church. You know, he's part of our church. He's one of our, uh, our over, what we call an overseer, great guy. He was telling me about his trip to the largest church in the world in Seoul, South Korea. On, on a given Sunday, they average attendance of a quarter of a million people on a given Sunday. And, and for the last 40 years, every Friday night, they do an all-night prayer meeting. And it averages about 10,000 people at all-night prayer. And they have this place called Prayer Mountain. And in it, there are, there are about 200 grottos, prayer grottos, that are dug into the side of a mountain. And you can take your turn in there. And, and, and Tom went in one of those, and, and he said it was about three feet wide and about seven feet long. And, and when he went in, he thought to himself, man, this is like a grave. And the Holy Spirit responded. You, you ever had God respond to your thoughts? You think something, and then he puts another thought in your mind. The Holy Spirit responded to his thoughts and says, Tom, that's exactly what it is. Because people come here to die to self and be raised back to life for God. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is a funeral for your own goals and dreams and hopes where you let that stuff die and let it be resurrected back in the image of God. And it takes time. You know, dying takes time. You've got your hopes and dreams and aspirations. You've got questions. You've got fears. You've got all kinds of stuff in your life. You've got to let that stuff die and let God come back alive. See, you're, you, you and I, we, we are all so consumed and, 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 and controlled by this world, the world's opinions, the world's expectations of us. And prayer is about shutting the door on all of that stuff, letting it die and coming back to life the way God wants us to come. That is why many times our prayer closet is it's a place and it may be a physical location, but we haven't shut the door. See, most of our conversations usually are really surface and premature with God. It's like if you've ever you, you had a friend call you and you, 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 you picked up your phone to say hello, and they're in the middle of a sentence already. You know, there's no real connection. And that's the way much of us, many times our prayer is like that. You're not really connected until you shut the door on the world around you. And so Jesus Again, he's perfect theology. He modeled this for us. Let me read you a few things Jesus are about Jesus in Mark 1 and 35, very early in the morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house, went off to a solitary place 
where he prayed. Everybody say, he shut the door. That's what he did. He went away. In Mark 6 and 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat, go ahead of him to Bethsaida, and he dismissed the crowd in verse 46. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He's like, y'all are in the water and you're still too close to me. I'm climbing a mountain to get away from you people, right? I've got to get alone. In Luke 22 and 41, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and he knelt down and prayed. You see, he's shutting the door. And then when, when they ask him, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. He said this again, you, when you pray, go into your room and shut your door and pray to your father. Folks, it's not a hidden mystery. It's not some deep hidden Bible mystery. Go in a place where there's nobody there. Shut the door and get alone with God. There may be somebody else. Like tomorrow morning when we start prayer, there'll be other people in the room. But you find your place where it's just you and God. You shut the door and you begin to talk to him and God will meet you there. Now, if you're taking notes, I want to give you a few things. I want to show you three things that a shut door experience, a, a, a private prayer time experience will bring to you. By the way, if you're new today, so it's a great time for you to start taking notes every Sunday. We're going to print out all these notes for you. There's free notebooks in the lobby at every campus. Pick them up. Keep up the notes. My prayer, I was thinking this morning as I looked at the handwritten notes, I said, man, I hope, I, I hope there'll be lots of people who a year from now have 52 pieces of paper that you've learned every week. And, you know, maybe around May or, 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 or March or sometime in the fall, you, you'll be praying about something and you'll remember, I think it was back in January or it was in February, God spoke to me. Let me, let me find those notes. And, and that's a great way for you to learn. Now, we have these notes also on our app. Download the Daystar Church app and you can find it there. Here's what I want to show you today. When you shut the door, here's what happens. Number one, prayer stabilizes your life. When there's so much shaky stuff going on now, a few minutes after Jesus told them about shutting the door, getting in a private place and talking to God, he gave them this famous story that, that uh, is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in chapter 7, verse 24, he said, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... If you, if you do what I'm talking about, if you pray, if you get along with God, here's what's going to happen. You're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. He built his house on the sand and the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Fell with a great crash, the Bible says. Now, here's what Jesus is making very clear to us in this story. Storms are coming. Raise your hand if in 2019, something unexpected and difficult happened in your life. Raise your hand. Something happened in 2019. That's almost all of us. The rest of you, keep your hand down. We're going to pray for you because one's on the way, right? It happens to all of us. You're either in a storm You've just come out of a storm or you're looking at a storm. Jesus said that, okay? That's not me being negative. That's not me speaking negative things. Jesus said that's going to happen. Rains are going to fall. Tr trials are going to come. And, and then, and you know, you could join Daystar Church and that's going to help you out. It's not going to change the fact that storms are coming. You could lead a group. You could be the pastor of this church. It's not going to change the fact that storms are coming in your life. And he says, when we've built, when we didn't listen, when we don't have a prayer life, when we're not a part of a faith community, when we're not growing like these small groups and these other things that we encourage you to do, when we're not doing these things, he says, it's like you're building a house, but it's on the sand. 
And when the river rises and the storms come and the winds blow, he said there's going to be a great crash. Everybody say great crash. Now, now see, we tend to know what a great crash looks like when we see it. You, you, somebody just, there's a collapse. There, it's just bad stuff happens. And, and, and then there's a big collapse. We tend to notice that when, when their house collapses underneath them. What we don't notice is all the times that the exact same storm came to someone whose house was on the rock because they stood the storm. See, Jesus is promising you that storms are going to come and that if you'll build your house on the rock, you'll withstand the storm. We, we tend to think things, well, man, I don't know how this guy, everything seems to work out for them. I don't know why I'm always snake bitten. Everything wrong happens to me. I've prayed. Nothing seems to happen good for me. I, I'm, I, you know, here I am at the bottom again. Nothing. Uh, let me tell you, according to Jesus, the same stuff is happening to somebody else, but their life is built on the rock and you can be built on the rock. Your life can be built. Your walk with God can be built on the rock. I want to know this. I know for a fact, according to Jesus, that it rains on the just and the unjust. That's what Jesus said in another place. It's going to happen in my life. The rain's going to come. The wind's going to blow. And you know what? It's hell when it happens. I mean, it's not something you ask for. It's not something that you know how to get through. It's not something that you're sure about. It's not like you're like, oh, here I am. I'm so holy and I'm so close to God that when this storm's over, everything's going to be fine. No, you're freaking out like everybody else is, okay? That's big time stuff and it happens to everybody, not just, you know, preachers aren't exempt from that. It happens to everybody. But here's what I want to know. I want to know when that stuff comes that I know what his word says and that I've got a place I can go to that I, the world can't get in. I'm going to get in this place and I'm going to shut the door. The devil's not going to kick this door down. The world can't get in there. You can't get in there. Your expectations can't get in there. It's just me and God, and God loves me in that place. God's full of grace and love and power for me in that place. Come on. If you know what that place is like, praise him for it. He says, there's a place for you. When you go to this place, you shut the door. It's you and me. And when the rain falls, you're going to still be standing. You're not going to you know, be exempt from the storms. Everything's not going to be perfect in your life, but you're still going to be sent. Your house that you've built, you didn't build it on the sand. That's why I want to have a prayer closet. That's why I want to have a prayer experience because when the rain comes, it stabilizes my life. Here's the second thing that, that I noticed. Prayer, prayer brings the power of God to my life. When I've got a prayer closet experience, when I know how to shut that door and I get that secret place with God, that's where the power happens. That's where the power's at. Everybody say, that's where the power's at. Y'all didn't say it very strong. Say it again. That's where the power's at. You know why I want to be over here? I know that's like three grammatical errors. I know that. You're allowed to say it if you knew it was an error before you said it. That's why I like to be here. There's power behind this door. Man, that, that's where my, one of my favorite psalms is what I would call the power psalm is Psalm 91. Right? A lot of power stuff in there. And it specifically mentions the secret place. Don't, don't you love the Bible when it harmonizes Old Testament writers who write in Hebrew are saying the same things that New Testament writers who wrote in Aramaic are saying? It's so beautiful. They even use some of the same language. Psalm 91 and 1 says, He who dwells in the what? Secret place. Same thing Jesus said. Your father's in the secret. <clears throat> who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Time out. Never noticed this. Never thought about this. The secret place belongs to who? According to that verse, who's it belong to? The most high. It's God's. You can say, man, my living room, that's my place. Or, or this auditorium for the next 21 days, that's going to be my place. God says, yes, it is your place, but I own that place. 
Man, I like it when God's got the deed to my house. Come on, somebody. You think God's house is going to get repossessed? You think God's house is going to be ripped apart by divorce? You think God's house is going to be torn asunder by fighting and carrying on? You think God's house can't be healed? I want my house to be the secret place. I like it when God has the deed to my house. And the secret place, he says, it's the, the, it's the, the secret place of the Most High. And here's your promise. Go back to that verse again. Who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Y'all, that's where the power's at. That's where great strength, that's where all the good stuff comes from. Man, you want to see somebody, you, you've probably seen somebody get a financial breakthrough or a big miracle in their life or God restored a marriage and you're like, man, how does that happen? You might see it out here where we all live, but it happened, y'all, back here. It happened in the secret place. Man, that, 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 that walk down to the mailbox where an unexpected check came in the mail, that's great. That didn't happen there. Man, it got addressed and stamped and sent in this room right here. That's where the miracles happen. He says, when you dwell there, you don't visit there. You don't know, you know like occasion. When you dwell in that secret place, you make it a part of your daily routine. You're regularly there. You're going to have his presence. You're going to have his power. See, this book here, y'all, it's a book full of promises. It's not a book of evidence that you can see with your eyes or touch with your hands. It's promises. It's faith promises. It's things that we believe in that we don't see. And see, these promises belong to people who walk with God. You know, I, I, I saw a rare bit of good news on the news the other day, last Sunday. It's very rare. But U.S. Senator James Langford said this, and I, I rewound it so I could write it down. He said, if your faith only affects your weekend, you don't have a faith. You have a hobby. <laughs> I like that. If your faith is just a weekend thing, it's a hobby. I was just thinking about the hobbies of my life. I'm not very good at my hobbies. Some of y'all are great at hobbies. I'm terrible at my hobbies. I don't really have many. Golfing is kind of a hobby for me, and I'm thinking, I hope my walk with God is better than my golf game because I am hell-bound if not. <laughs> right? I, don't wanna, I don't want my life with God to be like a hobby. I want it to be an experience. I want it to be you know, you know, the, the fuel to my life. I want it to be the blood flowing through my veins. And I want this promise to be true. I want his hand to be on my life. Ezra, 8 and 22, a prophet named Ezra said, The gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his anger is against those who forsake him. I don't want to be forsaking him. I want to look to him. I want to regularly say, hey, God, you said you'd be here. You said you'd meet me here. I want to get on the other side of that wall. I want to shut that door, and I want to see your hand touch my life. That's where the power's at. Everybody say, that's where the power's at. That's where the power is, behind the shut door in his presence. Here's the last thing I want to show you today. And by the way, I want to tell you a lot more things next week. I'm going to tell you about another door. And then the next week after that, don't miss it. But number three, when you, when you have a secret place that you run to, prayer produces miracles in your life. Can I hear an amen if you still believe in miracles? Amen. Scott still does miracles. God doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind about who he is, about what he does, about what he's able to do. He still does miracles. There was a story about a man in, uh, in the Old Testament. His name was Elisha. And, and someone, it was a family that was very close to him, and their son died. And they sent word for Elisha to come. And the story is found in 2 Kings chapter 4. And you're going to see some of the same language, even though it was written by a different person that wrote the psalm and different than Jesus. But you find some of the same language here in verse 32. When Elisha reached the house where the boy was lying dead on his couch, 
He went in, and what did he do, church? He shut the door. Don't you love the Bible? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm chasing a rabbit for just a minute. The Bible is so good. It seems like in 2020, there's nobody you can trust. Doesn't it seem like that? Politicians lying to you. People that told you they would love you prove that they don't really love you. Have you ever had anybody in your life, you don't have to call their name out or point. You ever had anybody who promised they would love you forever and they proved that they really didn't love you? So many things that, that you can't depend on. I'm telling you, I've been a student of this book since I was a teenager. There's not one error in this book. I'll buy your lunch if you can show me one after church today. I promise you I'm not going to lose that $10. There's no error in here. There's a lot of error in people who read it and don't understand it, but there's no error. You can trust it. Man, you got Old Testament people saying the same thing as New Testament people. Look at what he did. Elisha never met Jesus. Well, he met him now, but he never met Jesus when he wrote these words. When Elisha reached the house, there was a boy lying dead on his couch, and he went, and he did what, church? He did what Jesus was going to tell him to do a thousand years later. He shut the door on the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. He got on the bed and he did something really weird and prayed. He laid on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. He stretched himself out upon him. And the cold, dead boy who'd been dead a long time, his body grew warm, but he didn't have a miracle yet. It was pretty supernatural and pretty awesome, but, it didn't, but he didn't leave the door. He didn't open the door back up. What do you do when you prayed the first time and it doesn't work out? Do you open the door or do you keep the door shut and keep praying? Elisha turned away and he walked back and forth in the room. He never opened the door. He got back up on the bed and he stretched out on him once more. Then the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. A dead boy came back to life. Because, listen to me, in the secret place, dead things come back to life. You got anything that's died? A dead dream? a dead goal, dead faith, take it to the secret place because in the secret place, dead things come back to life. I hope today you'll take something to prayer to God. Before we leave this room, I hope you'll just ask God to do something that only God could do. I read a startling statistic this week that 64% of millennials and Gen Z, that millennials are people that are in their 20s and 30s, Gen Z are in high school and college age. 64% of them who grew up in church have left the church. Two-thirds who grew up in church have left the church. If you ever have a question about why does Daystar focus so much on young people, that's why. Okay? That's why. Those statistics and so many others, that's why. And that's why I'm so motivated by the young people in our church that are so on fire for God. They're not here out of compulsion or somebody making them come. They just love Jesus. They're leading. Man, that's so exciting for me. I see them leading small groups and going on trips and, and doing serve projects. And Man, we, have, we have actually have millennials who are elders in our church because the word elder doesn't mean older. No, it doesn't. It means a lifestyle of, of obedience to God and leadership. That's so exciting to me. And the reason I'm telling you this is, is, is a story I thought about I wanted to share. I don't know if I can tell it just right. I tried to find it, but I couldn't find it. But I'll tell you from memory. Story uh, of, of an old man 
who had a, a, a deep walk with God, an old priest. And, and he would pray. He would go to us when he really needed to meet with God. He went to a place. Everybody say place. And he would, when he got there, he would pray a prayer. Everybody say prayer. And God would always show up. Everybody say presence. Every time he went there, man, it's just he could meet with God. And as he got older, he wanted to pass this on to his children. So he took his grown children out there. He told them the stories of how God had spoken to them. Showed them how to get there, how to pray. Told them about being in God's presence. And as he died, his family neglected his practices. And when they found themselves in a tough season, they wanted to have the same miracles that their father had known. And so they struggled to do it, but they eventually found the place. Unfortunately, they didn't know how to pray. And they couldn't meet with the presence of God. A generation later, there were still stories of grandpa and, and stories of the miraculous. But when that generation had a struggle, they searched, but they couldn't find the place. They didn't know how to pray, and they never met in the presence of God. The reason Day Star Church does 21 days of prayer is because I want you to come together to this place. I want us to learn how to pray an effective prayer, and I want us to feel and fall in love with the presence of God. 